This is Ron Oral, and you're listening to the Activist Investing Today podcast. And I'm super excited to have with me Scott Mushkin, founder and CEO of R5 Capital, a consumer-focused research and consulting firm. We'll be talking today about two consumer-focused activist campaigns. And first, we're going to start with the latest insurgency at Dollar Tree, which has had a long string of activist efforts, and particularly in the entire dollar discount retailer subsector in recent years, and a lot of action over the last three days there. This campaign was launched by Paul Hillal's Mantle Ridge. On Friday, he filed a 13D saying that he's going to be nominating 11 distant directors for the discount retailer. And the company responded, uh, suggesting that they had had some sort of settlement negotiations, but the two sides are still too far apart and we have a, a pretty big director contest underway. And then after that, if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about another campaign at a packaged foods company. Hain Celestial, which is Engaged Capital. That's the Glenn Wellings uh, five-year campaign there. And on Monday, it was announced that Hain Celestial was buying Proven Brands Snack Maker for $259 million. So let's get right down to it. Thanks, Scott, for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Ron. Okay. So tell us a little about your background and what R5 Capital does. Let's start with that. Sure. Background. Now, it's almost amazing to think about it at this stage. I've been on Wall Street 30 years. And the last 20, I was a research analyst, a couple of different companies, but most recently at Wolf Research. But as time went on, you know, we got kind of known for our field research. And we were doing a lot of consulting. We called in to talk to boards and talk to management teams about, you know, what was going right, what was going wrong. And I think I just I always had a dream. Always had a dream of starting my own company, doing my own thing. Timing wasn't great, but Five months before the pandemic, you know, R5 Capital was born as a research and consulting firm. And I think the thing that really differentiates what we do is we're just in the field all the time. So 90% of our time spent on research, a good chunk of that is in, you know, for instance, I was just in Seattle last week going to stores, looking at adjacencies, understanding. So Dollar Tree, which was going to be a topic of this, mm-hmm. you know, I've been down in Atlanta seeing some of their conversions that they're trying to do to take the dollar sign off and put the 125 up. In Western Tennessee, we've been in the combo stores that they, they're talking about. So we're, we're in the field. But the point of it is we're trying to make our buy side clients make money. Mm-hmm. And for our consulting clients, we're trying to help them with their strategy help them with their execution, but ultimately to help them make more money too. And so that's what we do. Okay. So I want to get to in a few minutes, some of the work you've been doing on Dollar Tree purchases and you know, consulting work related to discount retailers. But first, I, I thought we could delve a little bit into this contest, which is a fascinating contest. And just as a little bit of background, Paul Hillal, the, uh, the activist at Mantle Ridge that's launched this 11-person director contest at Dollar Tree, he, in his past two campaigns, since he's been an independent kind of activist of his own, he comes from a background working with Bill Ackman's Pershing Square. And while he was at Pershing Square, he led their very successful campaign at Canadian Pacific, which brought in CEO Hunter Harrison there. He also, in his two campaigns as an independent activist, first at CSX, the railroad company, and then at Aramark, he was successful at like shaking up the board, bringing in a new CEO, bringing his guys as CEO. And at CSX, it was Hunter Harrison who unfortunately passed away not too long ago. And then he also was successful at getting kind of his handpicked guy, brought in as CEO of Aramark. So he has, you know, a tra- John Zilmer as CEO, who's still the CEO of Aramark. So he has, you know, he seems to be very successful at finding high profile, established, reputable 
partner, CEO candidate partners in his campaigns. And it seems to have done so again here at Dollar Tree. So he has as his partner, this guy, Richard Dryling, who is the, was the CEO of Dollar General, uh, I guess the biggest competitor of Dollar Tree, which incidentally also owns Family Dollar. But I know, Scott, tell us, what do you think about Mr. Dryling? Dryling, interestingly enough, is not one of the 11 director candidates that Mantle Ridge has nominated for the board of Dollar Tree, but he is a partner. And in the 13D filing that was issued on Friday, Mantle Ridge noted that they want to see Mr. Dryling in, in a leadership role of some sort at Dollar Tree. And the, the company responded saying that Paul Hillel wanted Dryling as the executive chairman, and we wanted to give him a director position. So clearly they're still far apart. But I don't know. What do you think of Mr. Dryling's track record at Dollar General? And what do you think he would do if he was brought in in a senior leadership role at Dollar Tree? Yes. I mean, I think Rick's one of the better executives out there, right? He worked, um, Dollar General was taken private, company was not doing very well. If you look at what he did when he was at Dollar General, it was pretty amazing for the first, especially four years where the margins more than doubled, like sales went up a ton. So a really great track record at Dollar General, but he goes way back as far as you know, a retail executive. So it's not mm-hmm. just Dollar General, long mm-hmm. drugs. You know, I mean, so he has a long established track record of being a very accomplished manager. Mm-hmm. And you know, clearly knows the dollar business. He's pretty intimate with the family dollar business too, not only competing against it with Dollar General, but Dollar General tried to buy it as well. That's right. Back in the day. And of course, Dollar Tree ended up getting it. So you couldn't have a better partner if you look at what Mantle Ridge is doing. Like Mantle Ridge has picked the right guy, or they're becoming their partnership. You know, whether it's executive chairman, whether it's CEO. I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion he's going to be on the board if that takes place. And if you're looking at the response from Dollar Tree that came out yesterday, Sunday, the negotiations are going back and forth between Dollar Tree and Rick. And mantle like Rick, he's, he's part of that process. Mm-hmm. So, so I think very much he will be involved. And you know, as far as this situation, I think you mentioned in your opening that Dollar Tree has been, you know, a, kind of a favorite of the activists looking yes. to help help companies. So I, I think the challenge you have with the company, uh, if you look at the performance, I was doing this this morning. It's pretty amazing how much Dollar Tree has underperformed. And generally, when you 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 go to a proxy fight or something like that, they're going to look at a five-year performance period to kind of give advice to shareholders. And if you look at that, it looks terrible. I mean, just massive underperformance versus Dollar General, massive underperformance versus the S&P, massive underperformance versus other staple of retailers. And I'd say part of their business is that. And massive underperformance against discretionary. So that's terrible. That's terrible. What's even worse, I think, and they've tried to, you know, react to shareholder, you know, discontent over the last five years. Um, so they brought in some fresh board people. Mm-hmm. Over the last two years, the underperformance has been even worse. Mm-hmm. And so, if you look at their response, and you know, frankly, and you look at Mantle Ridge, you know, mm-hmm. they're kind of known as the, the friendly. Activist. I mean, it's like kind of Casper the Friendly Ghost, I guess, a little bit. Is there, <laughs> is, it, is it ghost friendly? I, I, I don't know. So, I mean, they are activists, right? Uh-huh. Like they, you know, they're changing things. And clearly the company 
is trying to defend itself, like the the entrenched people is what I mean. You know, the, the current CEO, the <laughs> legacy board people. I just don't think they have much of a leg to stand on. And if you look at Mantle Ridge's record, they kind of have a playbook. Your playbook is they're going to keep some of the board members there. They're going to probably bring in Paul and Rick, and then the other ones will be kind of quasi-independent. They're going to be just great people. I think one of the most interesting things is some of the people that are on that list of 11 are people that kind of sat across the table from them, like at CSX. Right. Um, and now they're kind of like, wow, like, you know, these guys are know what they're doing. And so they're part of the slate. So to me, it's inevitable that you look at a company where they had an incredibly strong business, one of the most unique ones in all of retail. And they are doing things to that business right now that are so reckless and so not well thought out. It, it's it's the sooner these guys can take over, the better off all shareholders will be. Yeah, no, it's interesting because uh, I I did a little bit of research on the uh, the candidates and the one guy on the uh, Mantle Ridge slate, Daniel Heinrich, was a director at Aramark prior to Hillel's involvement, and two other yep. candidates, Edward Kelly and Stephen Halverson, were incumbent directors at CSX before he launched his, his campaign there, which is exactly your point. So these guys were kind of converted over to now be on his dissident slate. At Dollar Tree, it sounds like they were, you know, impressed with whatever changes he brought in at both those companies. Which is interesting. I mean, there is one director that he had, one candidate, Susan Cameron, who was uh, installed on Aramark's board as part of his 2019 settlement there. So that's, you know, was part of his kind of campaign efforts there. But there are, you know, some interesting people, and he has some people that have some interesting consulting background. This one guy worked at uh, Alex Partners, and another person at Lowe's. Uh, a director of Lowe's. So, you know, people, right. some people with some retail experience, but I wanted to say, so talking about retail experience, and you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, this dollar and a quarter type thing, you know, the, and I have to mention Starboard Value, you know, one of the most prolific activists out there was, I think the last activist to launch a campaign at Dollar Tree. And I think they had a different strategy. They wanted them to, I think, divest the family dollar business and they wanted a multi-point price strategy, which the Starboard kind of canceled its effort Dollar Tree said that they would kind of experiment with a multi-point price strategy. Three uh, and five. Yeah. And so, and so there's a dollar and a quarter. This is the multi-point price strategy that they're, I'm just, I, my suspicion is, is that Mantle Ridge wants Dollar to go further with the multi-price point strategy and Dollar Tree has experimented with it. They're expanding a little bit with it. And so tell us about, you know, what the Dollar Tree is actually doing. And then maybe is it different for Dollar Tree versus its subsidiary family dollar? in terms of multi-price point strategies? So Dollar Tree is two companies, basically. You have the Dollar Tree business, which is everything is a dollar. Right. And then you have Family Dollar, which is more akin to Dollar General. It's always multi-price points. It's kind of like a general store. So the Dollar Tree business is kind of the goose that laid the golden egg. It is so unique. There's mm-hmm. no one else doing what... well. There was no one else to do. They're not even doing it anymore, but they were the only. They're the only ones that has everything at a dollar, basically, right? Of all the discount retailers. Right. And so as part of R5 Capital, we run focus groups. We do a lot of research, as I've said in the introduction. Mm -hmm. And 
the focus groups that we had run, so Dollar Tree, that business is frequented by almost everyone on the socioeconomic you know, ladder. Like mm-hmm. you, see, you see Mercedes in the parking lot and you could see a beat up Toyota. Like uh-huh. you're going to have wide ranging people, a very wide appeal, very unique franchise. When we asked the women in our focus groups, you know, what did they think of this? Whoa. So what, what what do they think of what? What do they think of like the, them introducing a multi-price point standard? Yeah, multi-price point. Mm-hmm. It, it, it pulled very, very poorly. So mm-hmm. because of that, we ended up doing a big survey of women modeled after a consumer perception survey we had run for one of our consulting clients. It just happened to be right before this all happened. And there was a lot of interesting nuggets here, but the most interesting is you got to really think about what you're doing strategically here. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the dollar 25 and you read what the company said about it, that is not what, what happened here. They experimented for a few months, you know, you know, a hundred stores or whatever it was. And that is not great. And it's not thorough. And it's 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 a very in our opinion, could be one of the worst decisions made in retail in the last 50 years. Okay. And we, we talked about it as like new Coke mm-hmm. and okay. it's like their new Coke moment. Uh, people are younger on this. Yeah. They may not know what that is, but unfortunately yeah. I know what, what you're talking about. Yeah. I used to Coca-Cola back in the fail. They're going to come up with new Coke. It was an absolute disaster. But they reversed course pretty soon, brought back Coke Classic, which everyone drinks now. Um, and it ended up being like one of the biggest mistakes turned into one of the biggest successes. And so this dollar twenty-five, first of all, it's completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You don't need to raise everything in the store twenty-five percent. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. And we've talked to a lot of our again the executives we deal with on the other side in the consulting business, some of which are very familiar with like what Dollarama did. I mean, you can do two for three, you can do beyond a dollar and have a different mm-hmm. section. There are so many ways to to attack this without destroying your brand. You can probably hear my passion in my voice because like I fundamentally think this is, I don't know what to say, it's moronic. But um, let me ask you this. So I, it's not clear to me what you know, what did your surveys or your your study help you come to a conclusion about with the kind of dollar tree that they could do a variety of different kinds of multi-price point approaches and it, they, you know, it doesn't have to be just raising everything by to a dollar 25. So, so what the, it's a good question. So the, what, what it said is the brand is so tied to that. Everything's a dollar. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of people go there. Mm-hmm. And what that says to me is you got to tread extraordinarily carefully. You have to respect that. You got to respect. Mm-hmm. And I think even in their, their press release, Rod, they talked about 38 years or 35 years. They've done everything was a dollar. And it's been what made the company so great and what distinguished them and everything. Oh, by the way, we're going to a dollar 25. So, so the, the survey said tread very carefully here. Mm-hmm. But the survey also said, though, which was interesting, when we asked them, we, we showed a picture of the three and five sections they have right now. And again, I would do beyond a dollar. I wouldn't do it like that. Mm-hmm. I would them against doing like they're doing it. And decided mm-hmm. it's terrible and everything. But the responses from the women mm-hmm. were, a lot of them were curious. Like, so even though they all associated Dollar Tree's brand with everything's a dollar. Mm-hmm. When you introduced the solid price points of two, three, and five, 
it seemed like there was something to work with there. Mm-hmm. But you had to go very carefully mm-hmm. and thoughtfully. Company that's doing it right right now is Five Below. Right. right. They have now they have uh, Five Beyond. Right. And again, very thoughtful. And if mm-hmm. you go into the stores and you look at the signage, you know it's it's a it's clear. Nice move. It's clear. Mm-hmm. But they're also understanding how far they can push that. That it needs to be in a whole separate area. Like the magnet team's so much better. So much more thought. And they had, you know, Dollar Tree's had huge problems with the logistics and supply chain, where Five Below was all in contracts. And so mm-hmm. much better run company, much more thought, more thought out. But doing something that Dollar Tree needs to do, it just needs to be done with respect to the brand, thoughtfully, methodically. And who's going to be able to do that? It's Rick. Rick mm-hmm. Dryland can do that. He's one of the best mm-hmm. executives in the dollar, well, in, in retail. Mm-hmm. So, you got to be a little careful with some of the activists doing some short-term things. I think with Mantle Ridge, you're getting someone that's going to be there for a number of years. Yeah. Rest assured, they want to protect that brand. Yeah. And my guess, and it's just a guess, once they get control, because I think it's inevitable, and Dollar Tree has said they're going to you know, roll out a dollar twenty-five very quickly here. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be a new Coke moment. They're going to roll it back. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say the buck's back. Right. <laughs> Take this and write it down. This is the Bucks back. The Bucks back. Sign is going to be up. Uh-huh. Um, it's going to be the new Coke moment. It's going to be the Coke mm-hmm. Classic moment. <laughs> um, and and then they'll work in higher price points. Like probably, like I said, uh, uh, they probably will do that. Like beyond a dollar, two for three. There's so many different ways to attack this. I mean, I put out some research a couple weeks ago. The responses I got back from some of the retail executives that are on my list were just incredibly interesting. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. They don't need to do this. Why would they do this? Now, it doesn't mean, you know, sometimes you can do some stupid things and it works, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you get lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the data would say, our, our research would say, yeah, not really what you want to do. And by the yeah, way, well, their what? press has been so awful about this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think I want to just pick up on one of the points you made a a minute ago, which is that, you know, I've done some research about Mantle Ridge and I've been following Paul's campaigns at first that, you know, I was at Pershing at CP and then at Aramark and then, uh, I mean, sorry, at CSX and then Aramark. And he always, what's interesting is that sets him apart from a lot of the other activists. Like, for example, I mentioned Starboard. Starboard typically has a number of positions and a bunch of campaigns going on at different companies at the same time. Whereas Paul really, with Mantle Ridge, he picks one company focuses all his energy on that company. He gets a high profile CEO, senior executive type candidate that he partners with. And his investors, his investment is locked up and he has, you know, they're locked up. So they, you know, and I think this helps show the institutional investor community that he's in it for the long term. And I'm not sure if it's five years, I think it may be five years. He has the the co-investment locked up for at Mantle Ridge, but they're there to try to improve the situation for a longer period of time. And so this locked up investment approach really tries to appease some of those institutional index fund investors that worry that the activist is in there for a quick buck, <laughs> since we're talking about a, a back to the buck. So yeah, wanna, again, the, that point's very important though, because we've seen with the family dollar part of Dollar Tree, you know, people just giving advice and they're trying to make a quick buck. And I think if this company is going to be fixed. If it can be fixed, it's going to be this team that's going to do it. It's 
I don't want to call it the last hope. But okay. It's, it's kind of the last hope. I mean, this company was not performing well, and it has not performed well for a number of years. Okay, I wanted to shift gears since we don't have a lot of time and uh, look at another activist campaign, kind of a long-term activist campaign, but also at a kind of consumer-facing company, and that is Hain Celestial, which I mentioned at the top of our conversation. So this, you know, another kind of uh, frequent retail-focused activist, Glenn Welling, and his engaged capital essentially took control of the board of Hain Celestial in 2017. And mm-hmm. by the way, Glenn Welling also had a series of long-term co-investment lockups that expired after five years. And we wrote an article at the deal recently, just like I think last month, that he wound down his five co-investment vehicles and they did the, a kind of a deal where engaged capital sold most, a, you know, a big part of its stake, 12.4 million shares in a one-time offering. But Engage Capital's main fund still owns 1.9 million shares, and Glenn Welling, the activist, tends to hold a board position. And you know, it, it was my understanding that throughout the entire campaign, Engage's goal was to kind of focus on pushing Hain to improve its operations and streamline its business by divesting its food brands. And you know, Hain's founder, after Glenn Welling took control, Erwin Simon, who did you know very successful roll up initially, but then seemed to struggle. So Erwin Simon resigned in 2018. And then Hain has, has moved to divest a lot of brands. Uh, they've divested mm-hmm. their pure protein chicken turkey unit for 80 million. They divested especially rice band tilde for 342 million in 2019. They sold Airhead Mills, Sunspree brands, lots of these kind of organic or these different packaged food brands that they own. They own lots of different packaged food brands. And I think the idea was to divest a number of brands, make it easier to understand so that at some point, Hain could ultimately be an attractive acquisition candidate for a large packaged foods company. So, you know, with Engage, there's typically some sort of M&A goal in mind, although he did at one of the companies he was invested in, rent the center he kind of fought hard to disentangle a deal that was to acquire it. And that company, rent the center is subsequently, its share prices has gone up significantly since that acquisition came undone. So anyways, my question to you, Scott, is yeah, and then, by the way, today they kind of moved in the opposite direction a little bit by making a small acquisition, like I mentioned, the Proven Brands acquisition, the Snack Maker for two hundred fifty-nine million. They acquired a company. So, ultimately, Scott, do you think uh, you know? The, it seems like Engage for now is still you know on the board. They're still invested. They still, I think, are trying to still do engage. some sort of M and A. Yeah, continue to engage with the company. So, what do you think is going to happen here? You think there could be more brands divested in the months to come? Yeah, I mean, they've they've talked openly about the fact that their health and beauty care business, while it's both a focus and one that they would consider selling. So so it's tough. I mean, I do think Glenn was here to try to get the company sold. I think what you said was correct. I think the challenge you get with Hain is it, it needed to be kind of split up a little bit rather than sold off. And so they've been selling pieces of it off, as, as you mentioned. And I and I think the, the challenge, and I think the, the management team at Hain, I think, has done a, a good job on the cost side. The harder part, and, and we always wished, honestly, that Glenn Welling and Erwin Simon somehow, some way, could kind of understand maybe working together was better than working apart. Mm-hmm. And because Erwin kind of had the magic of what's new, what's best, and he's gone on to some pretty big things at Tilroy and other companies were you know very successful endeavors. Because he's always had a nose for what's new and what's next. Mm-hmm. And Hain at its core was somewhat food fashion, natural, organic, 
which you know became very popular in the 2000s. The, the Terra Chips is always one of their yeah. kind of well-known brands. <laughs> Go on. Now, the knock on Erwin was that you know once he got it, he was kind of on to the next hole a little bit, and, uh-huh. and you know some of the brands didn't do as well under their tutelage. It was just it is what it is, and so then the question is you know, going forward, how do you work? And I think what we need to see from Hain, and they made a small acquisition, which I think is, is good in the snacks area. I think we need to see some better revenue growth numbers. I mean, they've slimmed and slimmed beyond just the selling of the businesses. They've taken around a lot of different items, SKUs. You know, they used to be the number one guy at Whole Foods by a long mile. They've taken those, the number of items they're offering Whole Foods way, way down. And so in the end, they got to figure out how to grow and are they in the right categories to grow? And we, that's where we lose it a little bit with the company in the sense like Greek gods is their yogurt business. I mean, yogurt is an incredibly tough category. Mm -hmm. I'm on a board of a private yogurt company. I think, you know, I, I know it's really hard. So, you know, I think the jury's out on, so yes, they'll probably peel back, some more things, but I think that in the end, if we're going to get this equity moving up, they got to prove they can grow this business because shrinking the profitability only works so long, and then you got to go the other direction. Is it still kind of a confusing, you know, the activists like Glenn like to target these companies that are kind of conglomerate structures with lots of different units, in this case, lots of different brands. And is it still confusing because it has a lot of different packaged food brands and it needs to slim down some more before a large packaged foods company would be interested in buying it. Or I guess it sounds to me like you don't think a large packaged foods company would be interested in it anytime in the in the immediate future. I think they did want to sell it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it didn't get sold tells you something. Mm-hmm. In the end, you got to make a decision on who you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in my opinion, when you're dealing in kind of food fashion, what's new, what's next, you know, I'm trying to remember what's hot right now. Maybe it's super beets or something, you know, beets are hot, whatever, whatever's hot right now. You kind of have to be there. It was natural, organic. It was kind of the, the food frontier. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're in the food frontier, that means a lot, you're going to have to be good at running a lot of smaller brands. Mm-hmm. So again, Irwin had kind of the nose for that. But then when it came to the execution, I would say, at certain times, there was, and there's a lot of history here, but I'd say at certain times, they, they may have struggled a little bit. Mm-hmm. What you're doing now is it's kind of the old playbook. They're trying to get much larger brands, concentrate on the core. So, you know, Veggie Straws is one of their brands people might be familiar with. You know, get those Veggie Straws into a lot of different places. You can see them at BJ's now, you see them at Walmart. The mm-hmm. problem is when you get to those channels, then you start to lose the 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 whole foods and right the special the specialty so this was always a push pull I remember talking to Irwin years ago about there was a company called the Walmart Effect I think I got the uh, the book it's called Walmart Effect mm-hmm. I think that's what the, name of the book was but anyway there's a chapter in there about the Snapper Mower Company that decided not to sell at Walmart mm-hmm. and the reason they decided to not sell at Walmart was they thought it would hurt the brand and places that they sold would not like to see it. <laughs> That's interesting. Go on. I always wish like this discussion had happened a little bit at Hain. Like the, the not there's anything wrong with Walmart, by the way, but like it, it has a certain clientele. So you mentioned they sold Arrowhead Mill. 
yeah. um, which is it's a great brand, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Sidebar, you know, maybe Irwin through Whole Earth Brands, which he's chairman of, which is a, a small natural organic kind of sugar baking company. You know, the irony is he may buy a bag, I think, in Sunspire, which is the was chocolate. So you may see they bought back because it's owned by private equity. But did it belong at Walmart, right? Or so you know, Hain is a tough one. And I mm-hmm. like I said, the current management team's done a very good job getting the costs out. But to make it a packaged food company like a General Mills or a Campbell's, like you, that's the kind of focus they're bringing, but then they're not what Hain was originally. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the challenge. I think this is why the equity has struggled. You know, I, I think Engage did okay. Like, you know, I don't think they envisioned, I forget what their average cost in, but if it was five years, I'm, I don't know, Matt. I yeah, I guess they haven't outperformed the S and P. Yeah, I don't know about the S and P, but they did make some profit on the sale. But I'd suspect it wasn't the amazing success after five years that Glenn Welling had hoped it would be. And I and I think he's still in it to try to still pursue his goal of improving the performance of Hain, you know, for the next few couple of years at least. I don't know, but uh, right. it's taking a while. Yeah, indeed it is. Okay, yeah, and the other thing I would point out is I feel like some of the big packaged foods companies that. We've, you know, I've been discussing for years that, you know, we always wonder, would they be interested in buying Hain? I think the, the original argument, I think, was that these large packaged foods companies aren't as innovative and in getting into these specialty organic foods the way Hain has. And so they should just buy Hain and then they would have all that. But they've been doing a lot of it themselves. So that's kind of, you know, potentially a discouraging factor, I think, for a deal. But that's not to say one won't happen at some point in the not too distant future. Yeah. I mean, you never say never, but like I said, from our understanding is that you know, I mean, we're talking about, it. I think it's been somewhat known that if there was an offer that was reasonable, I think they definitely strongly considered it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the, the challenges are with Hain is, do you want a lot of small, I mean, the brands are bigger now, but they're still relatively small. And do you want that? Okay, uh, that's been great. Uh, we are out of time. This has been Ron Oral, and you've been listening to the Activist Investor Today podcast, and we've been speaking to Scott Mushkin at R5 Capital. Thanks, Scott, for taking the time. I've been really learned a lot today. Hey, thanks for having me, Ron. It was uh, a lot of fun.